growing up together, together. And I just thought about how it's good to have somebody to serve God with. It's good to have somebody to worship God with. And one of the great blessings of my life is the people that God has allowed me to rub shoulders with. I have the distinct privilege of pastoring what I think are some of the best people in the world. The Lord has put some of the most faithful people, some of the most dedicated people, some of the most sacrificial people I know call me pastor, and I am humbled by that. I thank God for it. And then the Lord has given me opportunity to go every once in a while out and preach and rub shoulders with other preachers. And I get to be in some of the best places with some of the best people. And I thank God for it. It's good to have somebody to serve God together with. I remember several years ago, I was preaching for Brother Steve Griffith in Calpin, South Carolina. I was on a Wednesday night, just stopping through, just came through and preached, and it's been several years, and um, I got up to preach and looked out, and in the middle of the audience was Brother Ed Maccabee. Well, I grew up hearing Brother Ed Maccabee. That was a hero to me as a kid. And Brother, Brother Gravely, when I was preaching and I saw him and realized I was preaching with Ed Maccabee there, it unnerved me. It, I, I, just, it just, I just lost it and just kind of blew it because I was preaching with Ed Maccabee, a hero to me, sitting there. And I feel the same way tonight. When I look out at men that were my heroes, were giants to me as a kid growing up, I we, um, I grew up on cassette tapes and, and, and had hundreds and hundreds of preaching tapes. And, and, and I, I, I really mean this. I, I had a tape. I had a tape. And I, I bet I've listened to it a hundred times as a kid. What time is it? It's preaching time. And it's praying time. And it's praising time. And to have little Sammy Allen here, it's a little unnerving, to be honest with you. When I was a teenage preacher, I, um, I, I heard a message on tape by Dr. Olette. And you don't know that we have a history together, but I, I heard this message, and man, it was great preaching. And I thought, you know, I could preach that. And so I did. And it was the flattest, deadest thing. It just, it, it wasn't the same. It wasn't the same. But to have you here tonight, and I am, I am honored. I am so honored. And uh, men that I look to up to as heroes, and then even contemporaries, men that are still here today. And uh, I'm looking for Brother Jones tonight. I don't see him. I don't know if he's here, Brother Jones. I, well, I love that man of God. And um, I, I heard had a preacher. You know how when you're a young preacher, I, I surrendered to preach when I was real young, and. And so that's the only thing I knew growing up in a preacher's home. And you know how young preachers ask older preachers questions and usually dumb questions. And, and we had Brother Roy Goodson was preaching a revival for my dad. He was sitting around the dinner table one night. And so as a kid, as a kid, I said, Brother Goodson, could you give me some advice? Give me some, you know, for a young preacher, some advice. And, 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 and I'll never forget what he said. He said, make old friends. 
make old friends. Just get around old people and just be friends with them. And I tried to do that. And you young guys, you young guys give you some great advice. And you go over there to that fellowship hall and there's a group of preachers sitting there. If there's an empty chair, pull up and don't say a word. Just sit there and listen. And you will get so much free wisdom by just sitting there, just sitting there. So I am, I am honored to be here. They were singing the song, I love the old Bible. I got a thought I want to give you tonight, and it's just a thought from Job chapter 31. I'm going to try not to be long. I'll be just as quick as I can. But give your thought tonight, and maybe this is the direction that the Lord would have us to go. But Job chapter 31 and verse number 35, it is the end of the words of Job. We've done a lot of talking in this book. And um, finally in Job 31 and verse 35, Job says, Oh, that one would hear me. Behold, my desire is that the Almighty would answer me. And that my adversary had written a book. Surely I would take it upon my shoulder and bind it as a crown to me. The book of Job gives you the experiences of Job. You know the plot behind the book, how that God allowed Satan to test him with great disasters. And how that Job lost his health, his wealth, his children in a matter of a few days. That Job retained his integrity with, with all of the pain and all of the suffering and how God blessed him in the end with more than he had at the beginning. There's probably no man in all of the Bible that I would not want to be more than Job. I think about the experiences of Job and I think about his financial trouble. Job had been a financial uh, success. He was a farmer. He was a very rich man. His substance is listed at 20,000 animals. But in a single night, his financial empire comes crashing down and Job the blessed becomes Job the broke. Financial pain. I think, of course, about his physical pain. Part of his suffering is to have his body smitten with boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. Some commentators think that he had leprosy because boils can be symptomatic of leprosy. And I, I don't know if he had leprosy or not, but, but Job suffered greatly in his body. I think about the emotional pain of Job. Job loses all of his children. His wife is beginning to show signs of a nervous breakdown by suggesting, why don't you just curse God and die? I think that sometimes we preachers can be a little bit rough on people in emotional pain as if it's not real. But it's real. It's real in his life. And it's not going to help Job to tell him to pick himself up by his bootstraps and and just shake it off. That's not going to work. Job is experiencing emotional pain. It talks about the experiences of Job. But then the book of Job is about the example of Job. We know that the books of the Bible are not always in chronological order or in the order in which they were written. The book of Genesis, that's the first book in the canon of Scripture. It's not the first book that was written. We believe that that honor belongs to Job. We believe that this is the oldest book in the Bible. 
And furthermore, the Bible is not just a collection of stories behind these Old Testament stories. There are principles, there are doctrines, sometimes there are types or allegories. There is sometimes a story behind the story. You know the story of the crossing of the Red Sea. That's a wonderful story, but don't miss that it is a picture of redemption. There's a story behind it. You've read the parables of the kingdom in Matthew chapter number 13. They're fascinating illustrations, but they're more than illustrations. Don't forget, there's prophetical, there's kingdom applications to those parables. There is a story behind the story in the book of Job. It's a historical application. He's a real person who lived during the early days of civilization. There is a practical application, trusting God through suffering. But I believe that the story runs even deeper than the practical. I, I think there is a typological application to the book of Job. Without going into all of this, I believe that the book of Job was a type of Israel during the tribulation, three and a half years of false peace, three and a half years of persecution. It is called the time of Jacob's trouble. It is 42 months. By coincidence, there are 42 chapters in the book of Job where Israel would be persecuted for the rejection of the Messiah in preparation for the kingdom. Tribulation is for the Jewish nation, not for the church. No people has ever been persecuted more than what Israel has endured, but the persecution that they will go through during the tribulation will make everything else pale in comparison. But in the end, Israel will be restored. And her blessing at the end will be greater than it was at the beginning, just like in the book of Job. And so I believe that Job was a type of Israel during the tribulation. The experiences of Job, the example of Job, what I want to say just a word about tonight are the emotions of Job. In Job chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 42 is all that Job experienced. If you took out chapter 3 through chapter 41, you would still have all of the details of Job's suffering and Job's restoration. But there are 39 chapters in between that describes the emotions of a man under intense pain. But one thing, Job experiences pity. His emotions are in full display on the book. He cries in this book. He asks for sympathy. He even has suicidal wishes in this book. If you'll back up to chapter 3, I'll show you just a couple of them in chapter 3. And look, if you would, in verse number 1, after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed his day. And Job spake and said, Let the day perish wherein I was born, and the night in which it was said there was a man-child conceived. Let that day be darkness. Let not God regard it from above, neither let the light shine upon it. He says in verse 10, Because it shut up, shut up, not the doors of my mother's womb, nor hid sorrow from mine eyes. Why died I not from the womb? Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? Verse 16, or as an untimely birth, I had not been as infants which never saw light. Curses the day I was born. Wishes I were still born. I'd have been better if I'd have never seen the light of day. You look in chapter 6. Chapter 6 and verse number 8. Oh, that I might have my request. And that God would grant me the thing that I long for. It's Wednesday night prayer meeting. Does anybody have a prayer request? Job raises his hand. Preacher, I'd like for the church to pray for me. Or Brother Job, what would you like for us to pray about? 
I'd like for you to pray in verse 9 that it would please God to destroy me. They would let loose his hand and cut me off. Well, that'd kill a prayer meeting, would it? That's his prayer request. Look, if you would, in chapter 10. Chapter 10 and verse number 18. Wherefore, then hast thou brought me forth out of the womb? Oh, that I had given up the ghost and no eye had seen me. I should have been as though I had not been. I should have been carried from the womb to the grave. And better if I had never been born. Chapter 19, chapter 19 and verse number 21, have pity upon me, have pity upon me, all ye my friends, for the hand of God hath touched me. Why do ye persecute me as God and are not satisfied with my flesh? I need somebody to have some sympathy, somebody to feel sorry for me. I need some pity, the, the pity of Job. Job not only experiences pity, Job experiences pride. Three friends come to Job and they don't agree on anything except one thing that Job is a sinner and God must be punishing him. And you know, you can only get pushed so far before you are going to want to rise up and defend yourself. And Job's pride rises up from the ashes and he begins to defend his honor as an upright man. If you look at chapter 12 and verse number 1, Job answered and said, no doubt, here's sarcasm, no doubt, but ye are the people, and wisdom shall die with you, but I have understanding as well as you. I am not inferior to you, yea, who knoweth not such things as these he says, listen, I, I, I'm not as dumb as you think I am. You think that you've got all the wisdom. I want you to know that I am not inferior to you. He says in chapter 13 and verse number 2, what ye know the same do I know also. I am not inferior to you. If you look at chapter 31 sometime, the chapter that we started with, it is the last time that he addresses his friends and he catalogs all the things that he has done and the things that he has not done. And he says, I've not walked in vanity and my step has not turned out of the way and my heart has not been deceived by a woman and I've not mistreated my service and I've not put my trust in riches. And, and it's only fair that Job wants them to know that I am a good man too. By the way, it's interesting that in the book of Job that Job does so much of the talking. In chapter 3, and I'll just mention this to you quickly, but in chapter 3, Job begins to talk. And then in chapter 4, his friend Eliphaz answers him. And then in chapter 6, Job answers him. And then Bildad speaks up, and then Job answers him, and then Zophar, and Job answers him. And there's a lot of going back and forth for about 28 chapters. And if you'll go back and if you'll watch it sometime, just go back and count it, not right now, but if you'll look at what Bildad says and Job's answer, Job's answer is always longer than Bildad. And if you look at what Eliphaz says, Job's answer is always longer. If you look at what Zophar says, Job's answer, for whatever they have to say, he has more to say. And God never speaks to Job until finally Job quits talking. And when Job quits talking, thus ended the words of Job. Here comes a preacher with a, comes a, preacher with a message and begins to lay it out to him. But Job experiences pride. The third emotion that Job experiences is perplexity. 
Because Job lived and died without having an answer to the one question that we always ask. Why? His friends offer their reasoning, but deep in his heart, Job knows that he has lived by the law in his heart. Job knows that he has feared God. So if God is not punishing him for his sins, then why is God punishing him? Why do bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people? And Job is perplexed. Something interesting about the book of Job, it is a book of questions, not answers. I was sitting in a motel room in Houston, Texas years ago and I was reading the book of Job and I noticed question marks in the book. And so I went that afternoon just to the book and I counted a total of 324 questions in the book of Job alone. There are only two chapters, chapter 29 and chapter 32 that have no questions. Nine people ask all the questions and the person that asks the most questions in the book, it is Job. Job asked a total of 138 questions in this book. And Job is going through all of this experience and all of this pain. And Job, he tries to get a hold of God, but the heavens are shut. And God doesn't speak to him until chapter 38. The Bible says, then the Lord answered him out of the whirlwind. And for 38 chapters, Job has no word from the Lord. Now you shouted tonight because you do. But what would you do if you had to live your life without a word from God? Right. What if God never spoke to you? What if you had to bear your burdens and your trials and your persecutions and your heartaches and heaven was shut to you? The thing that sustains us in our trials is that I can hear God's voice speaking to my soul and sometimes God speaks to me in the prayer closet and sometimes God speaks to me through his word. But for 38 chapters, Job has no word from God. There are voices coming at him, but none of them are the voice of God. And without God talking to him, and without any answers from heaven, Job is perplexed. And Job begins to ask questions. Questions of God. In fact, Job says in chapter 10 and verse 15, he says, I am full of confusion. I am confused. That's why all of these things have befallen me. My friends have not helped. And, and Job has questions and there are no answers. Every once in a while, faith shines through the dark cloud. But in the back of his mind, there are questions and perplexities and bewilderment and confusion. And Job needs some answers from God. So if I were counseling Job, here's what I would tell him. Job, you just need to get your Bible down and just read it. Job, have you ever read Psalm 23? That's helped a lot of people. Job, 1 John, 1 John, if you'll just read 1 John, boy, he give you so much assurance. Job, Job, I, I tell you, the Bible is the answer book. I don't know how many times I've sat with somebody in an office and said, look, every problem you've got, the answer is in the Word of God. We can find it there. So, Job, for all of your questions, I promise you that the answer is in the Bible. You'll find them there. But here is Job's problem. Job don't have a Bible. It's the oldest book in the Bible. I don't know exactly when it was written, but it's written during the early days of civilization. It's Old Testament, so he sure don't have Gospels. He sure don't have the Epistles. If it's the oldest book in the Bible, he doesn't have the law. He doesn't have the prophets. He doesn't have David. He doesn't have the writings. He doesn't have any of that. 
And see, I know, I know that the Bible is the answer book for all of life, but Job didn't have one. I know that the Bible tells me how to have a relationship with God, but Job didn't have one. I know that the Bible gives comfort and gives guidance and gives strength, but Job doesn't have one. So I can preach to Job and say, Job, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine and proof, correction. And Job would say, what scripture are you talking about? And I could say, oh, Job, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light on my path. He said, I don't know, I don't know what you're talking about. I could say, Job, that unless thy law had been my delight, I should then have perished in my affliction. And Job would say, I've never seen the law. I don't know what you're talking about. Job has questions. And I submit to you that if Job had had your Bible, he'd have had the answer to all of his questions. In fact, look, look at chapter 7. Look at chapter 7. I'll just show you a couple of them. I'm, I'm hurrying. Look, look at chapter 7, verse 20. Here, here's Job. Job said, I have sinned. It's got to be the answer. What else can it be? I have sinned. Here's the question. What should I do unto thee, O thou preserver of men? Why hast thou set me as a mark against thee so that I may burden to myself? And why dost thou not pardon my transgression and take away mine iniquity? God, I must have sinned. I don't know what, I don't know where, but evidently I've sinned against you. And that's why you have become my enemy and set me as a mark against you. But how do I get you to forgive my sins? If the sacrifices don't stop the suffering, if the lambs and the bulls that I put on the altar, if that's not enough, then how do I get you to pardon my transgression? How do I get you to take away my iniquity? I just submit to you tonight that if Job had have had a Bible, he would have known that God does pardon transgression. He would have known that God does take away iniquity. He would have known that forgiveness is not in what I do for God, but in what God has done for me. But Job don't have a Bible. Look at chapter 9. Chapter 9 and verse number 1, Job answered and said, I know it is so of a truth, but how should a man be just with God? If he will contend with him, he cannot answer him one of a thousand. I've tried to live as clean as I possibly can, but evidently it is not enough. And if the best that a man can do is not enough to make you just before God, then what do I have to do? How? How does a man ever become just with God? I submit to you if Job would have had the Bible that's sitting on your lap, Job would have known that you can be just with God. Job would have known that we are justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Job would have known that we're justified freely through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. But Job doesn't have a Bible. Look, if you would, in chapter 9 and verse 30, he said, if I wash myself with snow water, Make my hands never so clean, yet thou shalt plunge me in the ditch, and mine own clothes shall abhor me. Watch this. For he, God, is not a man as I am, that I should answer him, and we should come together in judgment. Neither is there any dazed man betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. Job says, I wish that there was somebody that could advocate for me to you and for you to me. I, I wish there was a dazed man, mediator. 
Savior. I wish there was somebody that could be, but if there was somebody big enough that could get a hold of you, get a hold of me, and bring us together. But I don't know anybody like that. If there was just a daysman, if there was an advocate, if there was a mediator, if there was a ghost man, but there is nobody like that. But if Job would have had a Bible. Job would have known that there is indeed a mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Job would have known that we do have an advocate with the Father who intercedes for us at the throne of God. But Job, Job don't have a Bible. And so in Job 31, Job says, oh, that one was here me. He said, my desire is that the Almighty would answer me. God, I, I need some answers. And then he says, and that my adversary had written a book. Now, I know who his adversary was. It was Satan. Job didn't know that. Not one time in the book does he ever strike out at Satan. Not one time does he ever say, why is the devil doing this? You know what Job says? He says, the errors of the Almighty have afflicted me. The dilemma is not why has Satan turned against me. The dilemma is why has God turned against me. God, why are you my adversary? Oh, that the Almighty would answer me and that my adversary, God, would write a book. God, I, I need some answers. I need some answers. And if you would write a book with those answers. It makes me thankful. It makes me thankful that I have a Bible. And I just, I just want to take a minute and just say that I am thankful tonight that I was raised in a godly home, that I had the Bible read to me and taught me and preached to me from the earliest age. And I'm thankful tonight that I live in a land where there is an abundance of churches and abundance of preachings. I am thankful tonight for every preacher that has stood in the pulpit and opened up a book and didn't care about my feelings and told me what God said about myself and about my sin. I am thankful for the day that a daddy knelt beside me on a bed on September the 27th, 1976 in the back bedroom of a little white country frame house and he opened up a book and told me about a man named Jesus and I got saved, gloriously saved because of the message of that book. And I just say tonight before I'm done that you owe your life to that book. You would not be who you are you would not be where you are if it had not been for the influence of one book on your life. This book has made you. It has guided you. It has comforted you. It has strengthened you. Your life, your life would be far different if somebody hadn't gotten to you with this book. I love the old Bible. I love it tonight sitting in this room tonight. I don't know who you are, but sitting in this room tonight is somebody that used to be a drunk and you remember the nights in the bars trying to get, trying to drown your sorrows in a bottle and you remember the curse that had a stranglehold on your life. Why ain't you there tonight? I'll tell you why. It's the influence of a book. That's what it is. 
sitting in this room tonight. I don't know where you are, but there is somebody in this room that used to be a doper and you snorted it and you smoked it and you shot it and it started out innocent enough, but then you woke up to discover that you were a slave to something that was destroying your life. Why ain't you taking it tonight? I'll tell you why. If somebody got to you with the influence of this book and here you sit tonight in a Baptist church and you're listening to preaching and your sits listening to songs and you're shouting like you're somebody and you dress nice and your wife is on your arm and, and the children have a Bible in their lap and your mind is clear and the demons are gone and the marriage is great and the kids love you and the raging storm has been replaced by a sudden call. I tell you when it started when somebody said let me show you a book. to here is when somebody opened the book and said can I share with you what Jesus did for you and you believed the story of that book and you got saved and you discovered it wasn't good just for saving you discovered it's good for living and so you learned how to love your wife and you learned how to raise your kids and you learned how to worship God and you learned how to live a holy life and you owe your life to this book by, by the way, it is a saving book. That from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures which has made thee wise unto salvation. This book will tell you how to get saved. Those four girls that got saved this afternoon, they would not have gotten saved had it not been for the message of the book. It is a spiritual book, the Holy Scripture. Holy Scripture. It's a special book. Amen. I don't like to see people putting books on my Bible. I think, it's a, I think it's a sin to put the TV guide on top of the Bible. That is the king of books. That's the monarch of books right there. Amen. You, you don't just throw that Bible anywhere. You don't just throw it in the dash and let the sun curl the nose. No, you handle that with care. You carry that book different than you carry any other book. That's a special book. Amen. Brother Caleb, if I didn't have the book, what would I preach? If I didn't have the book, what would I sing? I don't know any country songs. I don't know any pop songs. I don't know any rock songs. If I didn't have the, what would we talk about if we didn't have the book? Thank God that we've got a book tonight. I'm done, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. Why, why tonight are you in a Baptist church and not a confessional booth? It's because you got a Bible, and they don't. There are one billion Roman Catholics in the world tonight who pray to a priest believing he can forgive their sins. They have been told that Mary is a co-redeemer and that salvation is in the sacraments. Their hope is in the Vatican, and they believe their religion as much as you believe yours, and they're dying and going to hell. And I'm going to tell you why tonight. It's because you have a Bible. They don't. In the nation of India tonight, there are 600 million, 50 million Hindus. Polytheists, so many gods, they can't even count them. Millions of gods and not a savior to be found among any of them. What's the difference between you and them? It's not because you're smart. 
not because you're civilized, not because you're educated, not because you're an American. There's only one difference. If you've got a Bible, and they don't. There's one billion people tonight that are Muslims following Allah and Muhammad. They'll die and go to hell. And I know we like to preach against the Muslims. I'll tell you what they need. They need that. The only difference, the only difference tonight between you and them is you got a Bible. And they don't. You know why tonight you're sitting in a Baptist church and you're not sacrificing your babies to the crocodile gods in the Ganges River? Because you've got a Bible. And they don't. You know why tonight you're not beating yourself with whips and crawling on stones and glass in the Philippines? Because you've got a Bible. And they don't. And do you know why you're not kissing the toe of pot-bellied Buddha in Bangkok in search for Nirvana? Because you got a Bible. They don't. You know why you're not in a monastery in China starving yourself trying to be spiritual? Because you got a Bible. They don't. And Job said, I have so many questions. How do I get you to pardon me? How do I find me? How do I get just with God? Why can't there be a mediator? He says, Oh. The Almighty would answer me. Like my dad just said, I've written a book. And I'm glad God said, I think I will. And I'm glad he gave us 